listen, those are our best. I know. We have goalie questions. We know we can just throw them at someone. It's something we've been wanting for so long. 100%. I agree. Our favorite Uh, position, goaltending. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Too Many Men podcast, but do it in Thanksgiving. My name is Allison Lucan. So thankful to be with you all today. Hopefully we give you maybe some entertainment, maybe some distraction from whatever this holiday looks like for you if you are celebrating in the U.S. Um, But of course, we are joined by the about to be celebrating Thanksgiving meal prepping. I was very excited to learn this was some of this person's day. Thanksgiving meal prepper galore. And let me just say the hair is serving today. Gorgeous as always. Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you? Oh, thank you. Serving looks, serving plates, serving everything. Um, I am great. Yeah, it's been nice to kind of be at home and get some inside scoop into the delicious recipes my mom slaves away at year after year. So the family secrets. We love that. We love that. Well, we would not be too many men if we did not have the, I don't even know. I mean, this woman not only writes on everything, knows everything, but she filed a story before 2 a.m. today, people. And for this, we are all so (laughs) thankful and grateful it is the athletics Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi. I know the rare occasion that uh, that the, the, the sun is still out and a story is in. The sun's not coming out in the morning. It's actually just existing. It's always- my new thing. I don't know why. I've been waking up at like four in the morning and finishing a story and putting it in by like five or six. I just wow. why can't we just I'd be rather- normal and finish an article? Like what rather we- stay up. I'm sorry. Get up before I would die. I need to, I my power hours are like from like one to 6am. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. And then once you fall into that cycle, you're done for the year. I know. I know. I'm trying hard to avoid it, but it's, it's tough. My treat is always I'll come home from a game on Pacific time. And I can put a text in our chat because Shana's always still up doing something, but that's where we're at. All right, <laughs> let's get to it because we asked y'all to send in questions and you sure did. So we're going to get to our mailbag, but there is as always lots of things happening in the hockey world. Sarah, what time is it? Bit news. Indeed, it is time. Um, First and foremost, we want to lead with um, a loss, someone departing the hockey world who's been a big part of it. Soroya Tinker, um, a mainstay in the women's game, has announced that she is done playing competitively, at least. Shayna, walk us through, for those who aren't familiar with what this player has done, not just on the ice, but also often, we presume, will continue to be be doing off um, what she's meant to the sport. Yeah, Soraya Tinker just feels like her entire hockey career was just a breath of fresh air. You have, you know, this Ivy League college player coming in, crushing it and raising awareness and being inclusive. And I feel like I I can't think of a negative thing I've ever seen said about her. You know, just everything you want in a player, a team player, uh, someone to help grow the game, like all of that. That's Roy Tinker. Like, and to lose that now, it's so unfortunate because it's it's this new wave of women's hockey. And it feels like she would be such an important voice in it. I'm sure she still will keep her voice around hockey. I mean, we can only hope. And then on the ice, you know, we're seeing an area of weakness kind of keep growing with right-handed defenders, which in the draft seemed like it might be a thing. But now there's a couple injuries. Plus, 
her retiring. So I'm really curious how that shakes out as well, because we know, especially for the silly little men's game, that's the most hyped up position ever. And women are very good at shifting sides and, you know, doing what they can to fill a team's needs. So we'll see how that works out too, because a lot of teams are going to be very left dominant. Fascinating stuff. Sarah, what what are your thoughts on Soroya leaving us at least on the ice? Yeah. I mean, as Shana said, well, I'm going to talk about off the ice, of course, as Shana said, um, she's one of the first women's players to really have like endorsements and stuff like that. And she was really her Sherwood campaign with Drake and everything. I remember being super cool and like she made hockey look cool and she'll continue to make hockey look cool. It's a shame that how old is she? Like players have to retire so young as women to instill like live in their careers and stuff, but I don't think she's going anywhere in the hockey world. I think she's going to continue to work with black girl hockey club and continue to make it an inclusive, cool and fun space. So I'm really excited to see what she's going to do next. Absolutely. We wish her well and we thank her for all that she's done and probably will continue to do, as we said, to to grow the game that we all love Um, in the women's space as well. There was some other kind of news it's kind of been percolating um but we know that there's you know the professional women's hockey league and it's getting off to a start they have been a little less organized than maybe some have wanted in announcing training camp details um but the team names slash jerseys came out we believe and they're simply the names of the cities in which these teams play on different colored jerseys I think this was a little disappointing to me. Obviously, you know, there's talk that maybe the the branding discussions were going to be happening later, but an inaugural season can mean so much. And so to set the standard from the beginning is, is something that I personally think is important. Now it does sound like the league might be backtracking and potentially adding team names and or revisiting the design. But we already all mocked enough the New Jersey jersey when the Devils did it uh, two years ago, but Shayna, what do you make of all this? Where are we on the news? Have I missed any of the key details in terms of the new teams and their branding or arguably lack thereof? Yeah, it's I feel like so much there's so much like exciting news around women's hockey, but there's so much that it's like, can you please stop shooting yourself in the foot before it even starts? And this is an example of it. I understand they are on a very quick timeline. And, you know, I think they said it was six months and who knew how much work this would be in six months. Well, you're starting a professional hockey league. So it's a lot of work and, you know, people with big pockets should be finding the right people to do the work and who know how to do the work. Like you have to find that balance of experience and new voices to, I think, make this click in a timely fashion. But I think coming into it, like you said, the first season is so important. You want this to start from, you know, the ground up. You want to build up a women's hockey league. You need to attract fans. Like, yes, anytime you're going to say, we're going to have Marie-Philippe Poulin and Hillary Knight go head-to-head in non-national games, and here are the biggest stars of the game, and here's Elena Mueller, and here's everybody you could want to see see and more, that is a huge part of it, but you need a little bit more to to make it such like a household name instead of it being Toronto. There's so many Toronto teams. Who are we talking about? We're going to end up talking about the Leafs because they're going to dominate it unless you have a team name. And, you know, it's it's awkward because it's all cities plus a state name with Minnesota, like it just feels wrong. I think that there was a way to do a slow build, which was starting with the colors, you know, the cities, then the colors and teasing it that way. And some of the colors are cool. Minnesota, you know, having the purple, like the Vikings and the New York teams leaning into the teal. 
like the Liberty, like Gotham FC, like that is really cool, but you need to go a step further. You need name recognition for the team. You need brand recognition from the team. You need day one. The fans are saying, I must have this New York Jersey and I must have this Montreal Jersey. Not I, why would you buy one? If not, why would you invest in the league and buy merch? You know, yeah, you want to support the players, but you're going to have to get new shit in a year when the teams actually have names. Like it just feels like a huge miss here. And you don't want, I feel like we're all hesitant to talk badly about this because we want to see it thrive, but you, you need a little bit of a uh, critical thinking here too. Sarah, how important is it in your opinion for, for the women's league to maybe look at this and say, you know what, we do need to get our branding on par. I know there's been summations that maybe this has to do with making sure they can get the proper domains on the web and things like this, but, you know, Shana made so many good points about, you know, this is, this is where you have to invest to set this off the right way. Yeah, well, I'm glad that they actually seem to be taking the criticism and saying, okay, well, I'm not, we're not going to put the team names on the jerseys and we might not even have team name yet, but it's just kind of like, why did it have to come down to this with the criticism? It's like anybody could objectively have seen that this kind of looked rushed. And it's like, yes, it's one thing to think of starting a league and it's one another thing to actually do it and how fast it's all coming together. But I would have maybe preferred to wait a few months, wait maybe a year for the league to happen if it's going to be rolled out like this. I don't know. It was just kind of like the jerseys themselves too look like high school jerseys. And maybe I just think that because it's like green and white and that's like the Canton Bulldogs where I'm from. And it's like the Boston one just is black and white or green and white like that. And it was just kind of like, it's underwhelming and it's just like, Another thing that makes it feel unprepared, also like the practice facilities, like we're not even knowing where they are and you're trying to get people to get season tickets when you don't even know where the teams are. It just seems like, how are you expecting this to succeed? Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to see. We're, we're still firmly behind this league and what they're trying to do and, and doing so many things the right way. But let's make sure that we dot all the I's and cross all the T's so that we can put the best foot forward as possible. But some jerseys that we may love came out officially on Wednesday, and those are the Winter Classic jerseys, uh, the Kraken and the Golden Knights officially releasing their jerseys after some were seen in the wild earlier last weekend. Where were they um, seen? Can you tell me where were they seen? I can't tell you actually. Wait, you don't know? So first the Utah Jazz, you know, spoiled it with a couple players wearing the jerseys, but then on an AW little pre-show ahead of the pay-per-view, Renee Paquette and RJ City were wearing the jerseys. Renee was in Vegas because that's where she was living before she moved to Cincinnati, and RJ City was in the Seattle jerseys. It, it was a wrestling hockey connection hello i see cool. would have loved I to see. see jackie redmond in one. Oh, uh, yep. there we go there we go well if if you know we don't know how that all went down but the jerseys are officially here i know i am biased but i think the kraken jerseys are fire i also think come on vegas like i mean we just finished ripping on some like half-assed attempt jerseys for the women like what like what is this this looks like a doodle that someone started and hasn't finished and it looks like the top of the v is giving two middle fingers i do sarah, appreciate that sarah what do you think of these jerseys that just came out the kraken ones are objectively awesome and everybody loves them and the vegas ones might be some of the worst um professional sports jerseys i've ever seen in my life it's just <laughs> i get that it's kind of giving like the fortress it's giving like the 
Exalibur or whatever that uh, place is called. But like, I, it could have been done so much better and the colors are ugly. I would just like, would never want to wear anything like that. Do we know, like, I, I have not read the full releases for, for everything, but are they supposed to be like the gold ones? Cause the gold ones don't look good, like photographed, but in theory, they look better in person. Do we know? I don't know. don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they went with a flatter color because it's outdoors. And like, you know how they always go for like that overemphasized logo and numbers and things like that. So you could see them around the stadium and I get that. But it's so opposite of everything. We've seen Vegas go so extra. Those gold jerseys are as extra as they come. That red alternate they had, sick, but very extra. And now they're like, let's go bland and boring. Like, that's not you. Yeah. This this looks like it wasn't finished. And I mean, it would have been cool to see a, a gold jersey. I feel like this is a color scheme. You could have a color and color matchup, which if I remember correctly, we only had once in a winter classic with Detroit and Toronto because, of course, the Leafs. Um, but it's so bland. And then you see Seattle's and you're like, this, that is sick. I want 10. I hope they make that their alternate jersey next year to keep it around. It's a nice throwback with something fresh. And I get maybe Vegas doesn't have that same like throwbacky, like availability like Seattle does but you've been fine making crazy jerseys so far without that like what are we doing here yeah it's it's definitely it feels like a miss for Vegas we'll see how uh the teams finish out the kits um we'll see what that all looks like and we'll see if the teams dress as they hopefully do for their entrances and, and that might that might help them a little bit but Otherwise, we do have Winter Classic jerseys. One rocks, one is not great. Um, on to some final bits of news that are a little less happy. Friend of the pod, Tajay Thompson is out. He was hurt um, versus Boston on the 14th. Um, took a puck, couple pucks up high. Looked like the, the second one was to the wrist. And um, this is obviously, obviously a significant player for Buffalo, and it is important that he come back healthy, of course, for the rest of the season. But Sarah, what do you make of the Sabres' ability to sustain while they are without Tajay? Like, what are they even sustaining? I mean, this season is not going how they planned whatsoever. It's almost like a relief. Like, okay, we're not going to be at the crunch time with the Sabres again because we know, I mean, I guess they could use this as a gut check and turn it around. Um, it's a shame. Darlene has been playing really well. Um, Devin Levi, like, is not really living up to the expectations, I don't think. Not for me, but... It's just his first year, and there were a lot of major expectations like placed on him that were a little unfair. <laughs> like, okay, you're going to jump into this team, into the net, and be the number one goalie in the NHL going from the NCAA. Like, that's that's harder than other leagues to jump into and to adjust. And you're going to have 13 years of playoff hopes like on your back. I think he's going to be a great goalie for years to come, but it's just like he's not going – above and beyond at the elite level that they needed and depended way too much on for their playoff hopes this season. Shayna, is this as big a blow as we think, or as Sarah has outlined, is the team already struggling with a bunch of other issues that's going to hurt them maybe more so than hopefully what is a short-term loss of Thompson? I think there's so many things hurting them, but the biggest thing is their offense. And now that you're missing one of your best offensive threats, like you're in way bigger trouble. The defense has been a lot better in Buffalo this year, but they have no goal support. The power play, which for the most part, you know, now they're making tweaks is the same personnel from last year. And their 
so far below where I think anyone could have expected them to be. And it's not just being unlucky. It's just not playing up to par. You know, they're struggling even just entering the zone on the power play and getting into formation and looking dangerous. And here's a player that's a huge part of it. So it definitely is a giant blow to their season and their playoff hopes, especially when like the Red Wings came back down to earth and the Senators have had so many injury problems. You have teams like the Islanders who can't get out of their own way that it felt like maybe there was this opening for them. And now the opportunity is getting away from them quickly. But it's going to be interesting, like, you know, Dylan Cousins, someone who hasn't played up to the level he's expected to play. Does this kind of motivate him now that I mean, I don't even want to say a primary role because he already played on the top line, but is, you know, he's now the number one center. Can he step it up? Will the return of Jack Quinn help at all? Or is hope lost and maybe, you know, you send Levi to the AHL and just let him develop, which was something we were, I talked about with our friends at Sabres Live last week. Like every goalie, a lot of goalies go to the AHL first. Is that necessary? So I think now they're going to face a lot of tough questions to figure out how best to weather this storm. We'll, we'll we'll send an invoice to to Sabers Live for them for that plug that we just gave our them. best. No. Those are listen. Those are our best. I know. Season. I we know. have goalie questions. We know we can just throw them at someone. That's something we've been wanting for so long. Hundred percent. I agree. Our favorite uh, position: goaltending. <laughs> there is one uh, one other bit of news um, that is also a little less. Um, happy, um, but it's important to note. And Sarah, I'm going to go to you for this first, since it's happening near to you geographically. And that is that, unfortunately, earlier this week, um, the Bruins Milan Lucic was arrested um, with some issues around a domestic abuse situation. He has gone to court and has been released on his own reconnaissance. And it was announced just recently that he's also entering the NHL Player Assistance Program. Obviously on indefinite leave from his team. Um, just thoughts, or is there any bits of news around this that you think are important uh, to be out there right now? It's just all extremely sad and disappointing. And I had forgotten that a similar altercation happened with Lucic back in 2011. And it just kind of goes to show that there, I don't know, maybe it's the only positive situation I can think that's come from it is he actually has repercussions now. Like they really brushed it off back then. And now these situations just keep escalating, right? Like they don't go away. And I am glad, I don't know. I got upset reading that he was released as long as he doesn't drink and doesn't do it again. It's like, he's a repeat offender. Um, Why does he get to get off like this? But it is good that he's going to the player assistance program. And I hope the Bruins just cut him from the team and we don't see him in the Bruins jersey again. I don't think that would be right. And obviously it's not like he was even a part of the team because he was on LTIR. So just cut him loose. And and this is a player who was who was coming back already this year. I mean, this wasn't someone who's been part of the core for the long term. He's moved around a bit, played other places. Um, but Shayna, for let's take this off the ice and talk about the issues like Sarah just did. What what do you think needs to happen? We saw Jim Montgomery's comments. Um, we also know that the Bruins have not always been an organization to make the right choices when it comes to some off-ice issues, although the locker room has always been a much better barometer of how to handle those types of things. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I feel like this is a tough one for some of the guys in the locker room. And obviously some of that championship team that Lucic was a part of, like they're no longer there. And Marchand is one of the last people there. So I don't know um, what the vibe is on that front, but it it's 
should be above the locker room, right? Like it should be management saying we can cut this player. This, I feel like teams have such an easy time doing it when it's someone who's a depth player isn't very good. Like we see the excuses for someone that can score a bunch of goals and can put up a ton of points and be such an impact player. Like you'll excuse a lot of bad behavior. And here I feel like there's absolutely, there's even less reason to, but it's someone that we know how, what like a force he can be on the ice, right? Like there are men his size who can't go toe to toe with him. So the fact that this is someone who, is that intimidating and strong? Like it makes it that much worse that it should be such an easy decision for the Bruins to be like, absolutely not. You know, you might be going through your own shit and you have to work through that. And that is, you should do that. Absolutely. But that is, that is something for you to work out and you don't deserve the privilege of being a part of an NHL franchise. Like while you do it, like two separate things, you know? Yeah. I feel awful about, I said, I was like making jokes about how he was coming back to the team and it was going to be a good vibe. And he's like the player to watch and we're all making jokes. And it's like, we completely forgot and swept that 2011 incident under the rug. And it just reminds you like how there's no domestic violence um, plan in the NHL. So it's like these instances to make the league look better can be swept under the rug. And it's like, we got to be, more cognizant of things that have happened in the past because there's no like NHL repercussions if they don't want there to be. Absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll keep tabs on this and see how this situation comes to a conclusion. Um, It's been a while, but they brought us back in. We got to talk about them. Shana, what time is it? Time for how does it affect the Leafs? And they didn't bring us back and we never left. (laughs) Well, the Leafs are coming home after playing in the Global Series. And friends, this is a William Nylander appreciation post. The gentleman playing in his home country in front of a ton of family and friends who all were dressed just to the nines and were, of course, incredibly Swedishly beautiful, um, comes back with two goals, including one game winner and three assists just a dominant performance by William Nylander. This is a player who's getting ready for a big payday. I'm seeing double digits as the estimate coming from most of our colleagues in the media. Sarah, are we turning into the Toronto William Nylanders? It was just awesome to see. It's one of those things where you're like, he's in front of his whole home country. He's in front of his entire family and he's just scoring these overtime goals and like pitching in. And there was other Swedes involved too. And it was just like really beautiful to watch. Like sometimes I roll my eyes at these leagues randomly going to Sweden in the middle of the year, but this seemed like a really great event and the way that they marketed him. Um, He was doing so many talk shows in Sweden and so many like little interviews and like man on the street stuff. And I just thought it was a really, it was a job well done. Jada, I do agree. I think that having four teams and having it be more of a round Robin style really made this a lot more enjoyable and interesting to follow. Um, But, you know, I was also reflecting, you know, and, and last year we were all talking Mitch Marner all the time. And this year it's William Nylander all the time. And as much crap as Toronto gets, one of their big three does seem to just make a statement season one at a time, round and round they go. What is there to say about William Nylander, who also, to Sarah's point on a talk show, apparently admitted, although I don't understand Swedish, that he likes he has sent nudes around in the past. 
I love it. I love everything about him, the whole vibe, the personality. Um, and I agree with you, by the way, the four teams, the way it was done that, you know, everyone got two different matchups. It was a fresher approach. And it was also like, if you miss the first game, because of course we know the NHL is marketing, here's three more opportunities to watch. It just needed to be a little bit more accessible to watch. And that is something to work on. But I think it was, um, a really nice approach to do it this way. And I hope that's how they continue it moving forward. And it's cool for like, who knows when they go back to Sweden, they might do Finland next. They might do Germany again. So I like that. Um, but it, it, you're right. It does feel like everyone has their year. Two years ago, it was Matthews crushing it. Then it was Marner, and then it was Nylander. But I feel like Nylander honestly has been just this consistent middle six, top six, sorry, threat for Toronto over the last few years. And anytime the team needs someone to step up, he's the guy. He's the guy in the playoffs. He's the guy that, oh, we need an extra center. He's going to try playing at center. We need to get Marner and Matthew, uh, Marner and Tavares going more. Last year, I'm sorry, Matthews and Tavares, they switched them. And, you know, like... He's always the guy. And this year, to see him not just be like this utility guy, he's he's the star of the show. He has, what, 27 points in 17 games. He's absolutely crushing it. And there's been some tweaks to his usage that seem to work well for him. Like, they moved him to the left half wall on the power play. And he's shooting the puck a ton more, way more than he ever has before. And that's working out for him. At 5-on-5, five five, the team is completely different when he's on the ice versus on the bench. So it's a little bit of everything. It couldn't have happened at a better time. And it's nice to see him get his appreciation because I feel like so many people still hold over the contract situation and, you know, feel like they can rely on that as like a narrative around him. Meanwhile, I feel like he's done nothing but good things on and off the ice to be someone like we should always talk about in a positive way. Yes, we are here for the William Nylander party. So we're going to watch and see how big that paycheck comes to be. Um, but he's getting paid uh, after this season for sure. We have one bit of hockey talk before we move on to the mailbag. And this is a doozy. Uh, my goodness gracious, y'all. The Columbus Blue Jackets cannot seem to get out of their own way. They dealt with the Mike Babcock situation literally days before training camp began and now, um, in an effort to seek um, accountability in the locker room, there have been a multitude of scratches. There have been players sent down to Cleveland, their AHL affiliate, and called back up. Um, and most recently, well, and Johnny Gaudreau only has, last I checked, two goals. Um, Damon Severson is now injured coming out of their game against Philadelphia in Sunday. And Patrick Laine was a healthy scratch, something he has called the most embarrassing moment of his career. If you are not following the situation and you want to follow it, I can't recommend enough the work of our colleague Aaron Portsline, who, as always, is on top of this news and all news related to that team. But Sarah, it just seems like, you know, you keep waiting for Columbus to to put the pieces together and they seem to find new ways to, to unfortunately stumble. What do you make of Pick one of the parts of this story that are coming out of the Blue Jackets right now. Well, Line A getting scratched. I feel bad. It was on the anniversary of his dad's death and people were pointing that out. And I, I just feel bad. I don't think it's his fault. I mean, it's not like what is whose fault is it? It is so hard to place blame on this team. And I think at this point they just don't have the pieces that it takes. And I think they should really just play the young guys and kind of let them have fun. Like the juggling since the start of the young guys has been something that was just like a little too hard ass. Like they think they're going to be a competitive team. I don't think so. Just it's probably time to admit you're not going to be a competitive team and start giving those guys more of a chance to kind of relax. 
Shana, I, you know, I obviously used to cover that team, but I don't watch them as closely anymore. But um, in talking to some people, you know, they have said, while this might seem drastic, and it certainly doesn't mean that the team is doing everything right, that some of these players that that people are pointing to, a line A or even a Kent Johnson, haven't maybe performed to where they need to be. And maybe a scratch is harsh, but it's not that these are players who are undeserving of maybe whatever you want to call it, tough love or corrective measure or what have you. To Sarah's point, is this, are there too many mismatched pieces or do you have a place where you could see a solution start to come from? Is it coaching? Is it front office? Is it the players? Is it the team leadership? Yeah. Um, I feel like someone like line a didn't deserve this scratch. I feel like he's tried to do whatever the teams needed. Like he tried shifting to center. Then he was dealing with the injury and coming back from it that I, he's the one player I'm not like on top of like, you need to be better. You are the one at fault. And even if they decide to healthy scratch him, which you can do when you feel someone's not playing up to par, I wish we saw more productive uses out of that time. Like, you know, I liked his comments in Portsline's article saying things like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I shouldn't be eating popcorn in the press box watching this game. Like, it would be nice to see like the eye in the sky coach sitting there working with him being like, okay, this is how the team's playing and this is how you fit into it. And here's a different perspective on how to watch it. And obviously that can't happen all the time and coaches have other jobs to do, but it feels like there's an opportunity to grow. And he's someone that is still young, even though he's been in the league for longer than I think any of us like realize at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to see more productive uses out of it. And also the communication with the whole thing is a little bit tough. I mean, he was the guy when Vincent was promoted was the first to come out about him and say great things. So you would hope that not favoritism, but like a little bit of decency to talk about it. Um, who is at fault? Who's to say, honestly, there are so many things at fault. I, I do want to put a lot of this on management though. I feel like Kekalainen has gotten away with not getting criticized as much as he should over the years. And I think that there's some really smart minds in that front office. So it, you know, it's not just one person, but some of the moves like the Branson contract is an easy one to point out are really questionable. The Babcock hiring in the first place was really questionable that it's like, how did we get here? It's like, well, there's been a lot of bad decisions along the way that have contributed to this. And it feels like they kind of thought they were better than they were going to be last year. And then when they weren't, they didn't know how to actually like improve. It's going to be interesting because I do think, you know, there's there's some who have made the point that line A is in some ways a little bit Ovechkin-esque and that he has one trick. It's a very good trick. It's a very important trick, but maybe isn't as well-rounded as a player. And I do think they have a very, very strong young pool of talented prospects and, and first and second year players in Columbus. It's just going to be interesting to see how this all comes together. All right. We are going to, for your Thanksgiving Turkey Day pleasure, the Too Many Men mailbag. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We're going to try to get through as many as we can. And this one, I'm actually going to start up and I'm Sarah, I'm going to have you tell the origin story because this is all actually Sarah's brainchild. The fact that this even exists. This is the question from Fantasy Hockey Fiend on Twitter. How did the, and these are their words, iconic women of too many men meet each other? You compliment each other so well, and the chemistry really shines through in episodes. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you. Sarah, this was your idea. Tell the story. Well, one day... 
we all met at a little website called theathletic.com and on twitter.com where there's too many men everywhere in the world of sports and specifically hockey. And we started having a group chat where we would just kind of not complain, well, kind of complain about how stupid the league is sometimes and all these decisions being made and like just air our grievances and our little gripes with what's going on in the league. And there's some positivity to crack our jokes, whatever. Like we just had a little group chat where we're kind of panning at the camera, looking at each other, like, come on. And one day <laughs> we decided during the pandemic to make a podcast called Too Many Men. And we had the podcast name because it was so good and just if you don't get it, you don't deserve to listen to the podcast. And we came up with a concept and we've had fun and brought our group chat to life ever since. And it, it was all Sarah's idea because oh. Sarah wanted a podcast. And so we in service gave her one. Shana, did I miss any part of the story or did Sarah miss any part of the story? Nope. That's it. The rest is history, baby. <laughs> all right here's one shane i'll tee up to you first and this is from oh goodness i apologize if i mispronounce this rob siambra um i apologize if i'm saying that wrong please let us know um he wants to know will phil kessel get signed and play this season shana i feel like he has to i feel like he can be a cheap depth scoring option and i kind of wonder if playing half a season is best for him at this point in his career, right? Like sometimes if you want better results from someone who's like, I don't want to say like, oh, he's so old, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes you have to manage their usage. So I wonder if that'll be good for him. But I could also see on the other hand, the team being like, well, he's rusty and there's young guys you can put in that position instead. But yeah, I mean, he's out there. I would be surprised if we don't see someone take a shot at him. Sarah, is there a landing spot you could envision for Phil Kessel this season? Um, it depends whoever needs a sniper. I mean, maybe Boston for cheap, like run that back, back in the olden days when he was a Bostonian, people forget. But I think he could definitely end up back in the league. And it's kind of like a Justin Williams situation where he's older and he knows he doesn't have as much gas left in the tank, but they put him exactly where he needs to be on the power play and let him rip. And I think he'll be good for a few goals in a postseason. Moving on friend of the pod, Alex, a Pritch 61 on the Twitter, um, who also Shana, I'll have you filed this away. She would like to get the friend of the pod sweatshirt in a crew neck. So I'll just let that, that cook with you. Um, but she wants to know if it were up to us, what would we have named the six PWHL teams. I'll just open this one up. Do we have any ideas what we would have done? I would have liked to seen the Whitecaps brand yep. continue. I was going to gonna say that. Yep. That because that preceded, you know, the NWHL and everything yep. like that, that it, it's like a hallmark of women's hockey. Yeah, I would have kept that. And even if you said, well, it still brings, you know, now PHF memories, then go with one CW team. Like you can like honor to the past. Keep the Furies. Sarah, do you have any? You like? Oh, I love the Furies. Oh, it was such a good name. Sarah, do you have any names that come to mind? What would you have called the Boston team? Oh, anything. The Wicked's was really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bless you. <clears throat> Bless um, you. I mean, We're I like that the, in, by the way. What about like I don't know? I like the lacrosse one, the Boston Cannons. Maybe something like that. Like the 
like the tea party, like, I don't know, but like not really the tea parties, like, but the Boston, I don't know. It is hard to come up with a team name, but like, I don't know. We're not paid professionals to do it. And we don't have, we're not getting, you know, the we're, we're not people with deep pockets to hire people who can name teams. Well, I mean, pick an animal, pick a flower, pick a plant. Like these are the, or pick a verb. I mean, the these leaves. are the things. The Toronto non maple leaves. It doesn't have to be chewy. The, the leaves Toronto- spelled with a, a V. <laughs> the leaves. <laughs> They're leaving the leaves behind. Wow, 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 wow. wow. All right, here's one. And I want to include this for sure because we want to make sure that hockey fans of all levels of experience and knowledge always feel like this is a place they can come to. And this is from Michael Heelan. And I think this might be something I I know I say this a lot, so it's a good reminder to be clear. And he asks, what's the blue line? Not the literal line on the ice, the shift name. He's new to hockey and still learning the lingo. So this is a great question. So when you are a writer, like the three of us are, you find out you're using the same word over and over again. So you start to come up with different words to say the same thing. And calling players the blue line is just another name for the defense. So instead of saying defense all the time, you could say David Savard plays on Montreal's blue line, meaning he plays defense for them. So that's a great question. We always love those. We are like the Kelseys. We welcome knowledge levels of all kinds. I love those. And um, not to be confused with the New York blue shirts. Yes. That's a nickname for the Rangers. Good, good call out there. All right. Uh, Tom Ertz Jr. Shane, I'll have you answer this one first. Which player or players have surprised you the most so far this season? It can be someone that has exceeded your expectations or someone that's completely underwhelmed you. Hmm. Well, first, we love Tom. Thanks for the question. Um, I'll go to like a, a good surprise. I could put Markstrom in there because I was a little bit harsh about him. I thought his career year was a little bit above his actual level. I thought last year was below his level and he's somewhere in between and he's killing it this year. But it's got to be Frank Vetrano, right? Like that is a guy that he's a good depth scorer. He it feels like has fallen out of favor in other you know, on other teams because they have so many players above them on the depth chart. And like Florida was one of them. And the Rangers like used him in too high of a role when they had him, like he shouldn't have been on the top line, but here he is in Florida and he's just crushing it. And it's, it's good to have scoring. Like I know you don't want to win games if you're Anaheim, but you need to have a better environment than what you had last year. You need to have exciting games. You you need to have it that you're in these games. So the young players get the right kind of development and experience, and they're not just dragged down by losses. And I feel like he's helping accomplish that. And that line with McTavish is so good. So I think he's like the bright spot surprise that I don't think any of us saw coming. Sarah. I mean, for the amount of, beatings JT Miller has taken and rightfully so I mean you can here's the thing like there's the victory lap doesn't need to happen because a player can be objectively bad and objectively overpaid and then be good like two things can be true at once and obviously there is some like context needed here with uh, the rest of the Canucks are having like career years and there's going to be something there, but he's number two in the league with 29 points in what 19 games right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 12 goals, 17 exit assists, a plus 11 rating. And it's just kind of like, he does have six power play goals, but those goals are 
needed for this team. So it's been kind of wild to see the Canucks have like this offensive surgence right now. And it's like coming at you from, it shows the importance of depth scoring, obviously, because like you have Pedersen, but you also need several other people. And obviously you have Hughes, but that's just like, I think I'm also really impressed with defensemen. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's just going off and it's pretty cool to see. And it's just like more of our positionless hockey. But if I have to pick one person, I think it's Connor Bedard. Like I, I know he was going to be amazing, but the way he's scoring all of the types and I love Luke Richardson kind of just letting him play and him, how quickly he's adjusting to, I mean, he's had bad times on the faceoff dot and it's like, he's adjusting to that and he's not letting how much the Blackhawks suck kind of get to him. And I've just loved watching it. And he hasn't had Taylor Hall much, right? Like we thought yeah, that would be right, the perfect sure. line mate. Taylor Hall's yeah. out for the fourth time with injury. I think this year. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, it would also be easy to throw, and I'm being serious, but the two Edmonton superstars under the bus here of underwhelming, but in all seriousness, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid are looking very un-Leon Dreisaitl and un-Connor McDavid right now. So un- underwhelming, I think they unfortunately are taking the lead there. All right, here's our next question. This is from Ross at EdTechKaniac. He is asking, as of November 20th, these teams have more than th- they have three or more OT losses. Here are the teams for you: Los Angeles, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Seattle, Islanders, Calgary, Minnesota, and Columbus. Which of those teams are actually good but unlucky, and which are lucky to have gotten to OT but are not that good? So let's go through this. We'll take we'll do a quick poll. Okay. So we're gonna say, are they good? And unlucky, that's option one. Option two is lucky to have gotten to OT at all. Okay. So first, Los Angeles, good and unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all? Good and unlucky. Totally. I agree. Okay. Agreed. Tampa Bay, good and unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all? I think lucky to, they're lucky to get to OT at all, but they then will. I don't know. This is like a really hard question because I don't know. I'm not going to say they're lucky, but I am going to say it's concerning that they can't turn it on anymore in OT and just win. Yeah. And in a way, they're kind of lucky, right? Because they haven't had Vasilevsky. So they're at least doing something, I would say. It feels like they're trending in like they started the year with horrible defense and the goaltending from Jonas Johansson was okay. And then his play completely trailed off. Shocker. But it feels like they raised the bar but it's not clicking at the same time and it's not fully their fault because they haven't had Vasty. So like once he's back healthy up to speed, cause I'm sure he's going to be rusty. Like that'll be the true test. Cause I feel like they can still be good, but we haven't, it's not fair to like shit on them just yet. All right. Detroit good and unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all. Detroit. Lucky to have gotten to OT at all. They crash back down to earth. Okay. Seattle good and unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all. Do, 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 I would do. say lucky to have gotten to OT at all because of that third that third period that they've been struggling through. They have what yeah. the second worst goal differential in the third. Yes. So it can slip away very easily. So they're lucky when they get the point when that happens. Okay. Yes. 
Islanders, good and unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all? Lucky to have gotten to OT at all. <laughs> yeah. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Calgary, and Calgary is a team that's maybe warming up a little bit here. Good but unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all? Cursed. Cursed. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Markstrom's doing Markstrom's good. Yes. Okay. The, the offense is just Minnesota. Good and unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all? Lucky to have gotten to OT at all. Oh my God, do they have a lot of pro- like we talked all about PK and defense. Boldy and Kaprizov now. It's like where 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 are you guys at? Are you there? Are you ready? And I'll wake up. All right. Uh Last one, Columbus. Good but unlucky or lucky to have gotten to OT at all? Lucky to have gotten to OT at all. And you can just see that. I'm shocked they even have gotten to OT that many times. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, I agree. All right. We have one last question here. Let's see. Um, Oh, wait. We may actually have a couple. No, no. This is the last one. What is, this is for me, what is reporting from between the bench? What about reporting from between the benches is the most unexpected and or surprising aspect that people might not think about unless they've done it? Love and, this question. Love and it. I th- Thank you, Shana. I appreciate your vote of confidence. I think that uh, the coolest thing, and this is whenever someone asks me, a newer fan, where to sit at a game, um, I always, oh, look, there's the hand. I always tell them there's two places. One, you should sit by the glass so that you can truly understand the speed of the game. But then to see the game the best, you should sit about halfway up the lower bowl in a corner so you can watch the whole play develop. But I think when you're between the benches, what what really drives home is why systems matter so much because those players are moving so fast and what they can actually see and more importantly cannot see is why they have to trust their systems. They have to believe that someone's going to be in a certain place or be doing a certain thing so that the play can continue in the way that they want. Because it sure looks easy. This is what players mean when they say it looks easy when you're sitting up top because you can see everything. And it's just physically impossible for players to see. Like with stuff's in the corners, like I can't even see it because it's like, unless I'm hanging over the the wall, which would not be appropriate. So that would be my answer. All right, oh, y'all. Cool. What a little superstar. It is very cool. Thank you. All right, y'all. Thank you for those questions. They are awesome. I know that from our first mailbag, we did have some of you, the first five, send in your addresses. We will be getting that pride tape out to you all. We promise soon. Um, keep those questions coming. We're going to try and do one mailbag episode a month. Always use the hashtag TMMail so that we can earmark it to talk through when we come together. We usually end every episode with our very favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. But in honor of American Thanksgiving, this week, we are going to go around and share one thing that we are most thankful for. Sarah, you are up first. I am most thankful for... Oh, there's so many things. I guess everybody... Continuing to be a community in hockey that we can always rely on each other. And I know it's hard sometimes to deal with certain decisions from the league and certain hockey men, but I'm glad we always have each other. And thank you guys for continuing to listen to us. Dana. Yeah, I'm going to go with the similar answer. Um, It's like this little too many men community. I love, I love it when we get pictures of people wearing our merch and to see that in the wild or 
any games going on, whether it's a fan or a fellow writer being like, oh, they love too many men. Like to see that like little, it's like a little joke, a little bit of support. Like I, I just love it. So, you know, mm-hmm. thanks for listening to us and, you know, trying being a part of this with us, right? Like we wouldn't be doing it if not. Shout out to Ransom. He knows who he is. He always tweets me in all caps whenever too many men happens in literally any sport. So it's fantastic. I love that. Um, well, I will I will end here and I will say that I am most thankful for the two of you. You keep me sane. You keep me educated. You keep me laughing. And you give great love and support when I need it. And we try and do the same for each other. And as special as this show is, um, the the friendship that we three have is something that I will kill people over because it's one of the best parts <laughs> of every single day of my life. And I love you both so, so much. Maybe it really love was you. about the friends we made along the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, y'all. That does it for this episode. We hope we gave you some fun and some distraction on your holiday weekend or maybe after your holiday weekend if you were too busy before then to listen. Please do connect with us on social. We are at two underscore much underscore man on Twitter and Instagram and two hyphen much hyphen man on blue sky. We do have that wonderful merch that just brings light to our day when we see you wearing it all over the world. Even we've had people send us cool pictures. If you would like to get your own merch, maybe even a friend of the pod crew neck, depending on Shana's workload, you can go to too many men merch.com and buy whatever makes your heart sing. We don't take a dime of those profits. We turn that around and give it to people and organizations who are trying to make hockey better. And that as we leave you today, is what we ask to please do something no matter how big or small to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone we are so thankful for you and we will talk to you soon love you bye